What's up everyone and welcome to episode 171 of the Justin Insight podcast, a show where we talk to people involved in the world of alternative music and their journey through it. As always, I'm your host Tim Birkbeck and I don't have a whole lot to report to you to be honest this week. I had a pretty average week so I'm not going to be going on too much running and raving in this intro. We're going to sort of go straight into it pretty much. Um, that being said, there's a few things I do want to shout out. As I said last week, uh, each week I'm going to kind of try and shout out sort of new stuff and new music that I've been listening to recently, um, just because I want to, and I think it's like we are a music podcast, so I want to kind of, even if it does put a few more ears onto onto things, that's the the whole idea of it. So, um, yeah, been checking out the new uh, Blood from the Soul record, which has just come out on Deathwish Inc. Uh, it features members of Napalm Death and weirdly Job for a Cowboy, um, but it has Jacob Van- Bannon of uh, Converge fame on vocals. So yeah, go check that out. Um, it's a re- really really cool record. Um, and the other thing, even though it's just one song, the new Fuming Mouth song that's just been put out is fucking amazing. It's so heavy. Um, if you're a fan of the band anyway, this is like elevated so much more they're certainly leaning into the whole sort of metal sound a lot more which is really cool considering this record is going to be coming on the blast which is awesome um also if people aren't already bored of hearing my voice um i was lucky enough to be asked to be a guest on the recent episode of the deathography podcast uh so the guys jeremy and jeff over there they are going through the Deathwish inc discography in chronological order uh each episode they talk about a different record uh i was kind enough to be asked to come on and talk about the power and the glory record um call me armageddon so if you want to hear a bit more about that and us talking about that then go check them out they're on all various podcast platforms as are we so just search deathsography um and it'll come up and again they're on twitter instagram and all the likes as well right let's get to this week's guest and i'm joined by thou guitarist andy gibb um this was a really cool one he was uh someone that i wanted to talk to for for a long time and obviously with the record uh, they just put out in collaboration with emma ruth rundle it seemed fitting to kind of do it around that uh, we talk about how the band kind of started when they started sort of they didn't really kind of know what they were doing and how to kind of go about booking shows so they were literally cold calling venues asking for shows uh, how the sound has kind of evolved over the years and they've kind of stripped things back and put things in and that's led to obviously various collaborations obviously we talk about the new record um, with with Emma we also talk about him uh, scoring music for fetish and erotic films, which is a, a side of him which I didn't realise until kind of doing a bit of research, but it's a project he's now heavily involved in. It's something that he seems to be really enjoying. Um, this was recorded literally a few days before the, the new record came out. So the first little bit of the conversation is kind of talking retrospectively. No, not retrospectively. In hindsight, I... It was recorded before, so you get what I mean. Um, basically, was talking as if the record hadn't come out yet, but obviously the record is out now. Um, but anyway, it still makes sense. I'm just kind of giving that a caveat. I don't know why. I'm rambling. So, yeah, please sit back, enjoy the chat I have with Andy, and I'll see you on the other side. 
So, uh, joining me this week on the Justin Insight podcast is guitarist of Sludge Doom Metal as Thou, Andy Gibb. Andy, thank you very much for taking some time out of your, what sounds like a very busy, hectic schedule at the moment. Um, but how is everything, apart from, as you've just informed me, a potential hurricane coming your way? Uh, well, it's definitely coming, that's for sure. Uh, but uh, things, are, things are really good. I'm very excited for the album to be out. I've like, mm. it's been such a fucking long time coming. Like, I mean, we've, we've recorded this thing like, shit, I don't know, like over a year ago. And we've, yeah. we've had the final mixes now for a long time. So like, I'm very excited for it to finally get out. <laughs> um, yeah. But, but yeah, so like this week coming up to it is like the most intense time. But once it's out, I feel like a huge weight's going to be lifted off my shoulders. And, and with the review, the first like reviews coming in, it's been so cool to see that happen finally. And so like, I'm just, it's exciting and busy all at once right now. Yeah. Well, obviously we'll get into the, the album in a bit more detail in a moment, but obviously, yeah. but by the time this episode comes out, the album will be out. People will have been able to hear it, but I've been lucky enough to, to hear it ahead of schedule. And I think like, regardless of like you working with Emma, like I always find what you guys as a band do incredibly interesting and incredibly innovative anyway so i think this is just kind of like the next step up and i'm I'm just excited for people to hear it and i think like without this sounding a bit like cliche or like pandering like i think it's going to put you guys on that next sort of level of like people discovering your band if that makes sense well i hope so uh that would be nice i guess well i mean it comes with comes with all kinds of other problems but <laughs> yeah but yeah i mean that that's one of the things i was excited about was for this to like open us up to people who only know emma um and who are open to what we do which i don't know mm. if any of those kind of people there are out there but i know they are out there somewhere um so that's like one of the things that was exciting plus like the music itself is just a little more accessible than what we normally do so i'm curious yeah to see if, if that translates to other people who are more like i don't know mainstream rock fans do those exist i don't know (laughs) (laughs) everyone's now again i think as you say it's for people that maybe aren't necessarily familiar with the thou side of things rather than emma's sort of stuff it's i'm not saying like you've blended with her but like the style that you've kind of written is I don't like I am jumping ahead of it now but we're on the subject (laughs) but like um I don't know did you kind of approach it to kind of fit with her in in any aspect or did you kind of approach it as a as a Thal project I guess I definitely didn't approach it as a Thal project I think it's a little of both though I think that I definitely was deliberately writing I wrote like the songs that I wrote most of them I wrote for her, like with her in, right, mind, okay. with her in mind, uh, being like, uh, you know, this is an opportunity for me to write for someone who has a very uh, singular voice, like literal voice. Um, and so like, I kind of took that opportunity to like, you know, do something that would showcase that. But at the same time, like, I didn't want it to sound like one of her records. I didn't want it to sound like something that wouldn't be totally out of place on a thou albums so mm. i was trying to kind of like walk that tightrope between those those two things yeah and last thing i'll mention before we go into it deeper later but i think the parts where 
Emma's voice and Brian's voice kind of come in simultaneously and sort of match with each other. I think that's the antithesis of this album. And I think so that, like, what you... that's, that's the thing that was like going to be the most crucial part of it. And that, I've, I've been saying that lately when people ask about it is that like, that was really the make or break thing, um, how we were going to do the vocals and how that was going to translate. And so I think the, what I keep giving credit to our recording engineer, James, because I think just the way he mixed it made it to where those two voices together really worked. Yeah. Because he, he mixed it to where Emma's voice wasn't like out on a, another planet or like way above us. It, it was very much all integrated into the mix. And I think that's what, that's kind of the glue that, that brings it all together in my opinion. Yeah. And I think like on that song that obviously is out for public consumption at the moment, the Valley, like the bit when Brian does come in, it's just like, perfect synergy of the two styles kind yeah. of crossing over and, so. and, and credit to brian for like knowing when to sit out and when to come in and when to you know he was very uh good about figuring out and being really tasteful with how he approached his voice because uh, another singer with a bigger ego would have just been like well I <laughs> yeah but you know perfect right we'll get we'll get on to you andy and as i say like we always kind of take our guests back to their roots and their origins so how I like to kind of open the conversation up is like, what was your kind of introduction to alternative music? Like, where did you, where was the jumping in point for you? For music in general? Sorry, I missed one part of that. Well, kind of like the more kind of alternative side of things. Yeah, Um, so I am the youngest of four. I have four older sisters um, and, you know, my oldest sister is 10 years older than me. So I most, so three of my sisters are firmly like Gen X people, you know? Right. So, that that my real introduction to it was through was through them and the music they liked at the time. Uh, so really, the first band that I really loved and fell in love with was Pearl Jam. Uh, you know, when when like I guess that was probably like I mean I'm 37 now. That was probably like 1991 or 92. Yeah, yeah. I was I was like a little kid. I was like nine years old, but I was like obsessed with Pearl Jam. Um, and that, that, so them, the Smashing Pumpkins, uh, and then Nirvana and Metallica. Those are like the, those are the main, the main bands that I was really like, that really made an impression on me at the mm. time. Um, so that's kind of my intro to it. And really, that's the stuff that stuck with me. I mean, it still sticks with me. I listen to the Smashing Pumpkins like every day. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Graduating and Alice in Chains and all that stuff. Um, like still a huge part for me. Um, but yeah, that that was definitely like the jumping off point, and I stuck with that stuff for a long. So, was were your sisters kind of showing you the music, or was it just something they had playing, and you kind of gravitated towards that's, it? Where did that come from? That's the thing is like none of them are music people, really, like deeply, like uh, none of them are musicians. None of them stuck with that kind of music. They all now are very normal, dare I say, normie people that <laughs> yeah, whatever, um, and don't really think about it. So like it's funny because. Um, that was just what was popular at the time, you know, and it was new and, you know, upcoming, interesting stuff. And they had friends that were deeper into it than them. So it wasn't, they weren't showing it to me so much as they had those, those CDs and tapes. And when they would go out on the weekend to hang out with their friends, I would go into their room and like, I'd bring a cassette, <laughs> yeah. tape all the, tape all the albums that I like, which meant that I had to listen to them in full. Um, and so I'd sit there with the liner notes while this, while the CD taped onto my tape, and, you know, that, that's kind of how I got into all that stuff. 
Yeah. So then in terms of kind of like progressing forward a little bit, I might be jumping ahead of myself a bit, but in terms of kind of going from there to discovering the more sort of heavier side of things, like maybe that's not necessarily so aligned with what you're playing with now, but maybe put you on that path. Yeah, like the entryway bands, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so where, where, where were that, those influences coming from? So the, the first one, the first band I think I heard that was like, what could be considered some manner of extreme would be Metallica for sure. And I don't, I, and mm. by that, I don't mean like Inner Sandman, I mean like um, Ride the Lightning. Um, yeah. Like I had a friend that gave me a tape of Ride the Lightning for my birthday when I was, I think, maybe 12 or 11. Um, and that was like the big game changer. Like that was when, like, I, I didn't really know, like I had played at the time I played piano and I was kind of starting to play drums, but I didn't know anything about guitar. And when I, I didn't know what distortion pedals were. So when, okay. so when I heard the huge guitars on For Whom the Bell Tolls, I was like, I thought it was another instrument that made Oh, like, right, okay. I didn't realize it was just a guitar with a pedal. I thought it was some type of guitar you had to have that like makes that sound. Uh, and that was just like fascinating to me. So that was like the first thing I heard that really got me into like kind of more extreme stuff. And, um, and from there, I guess really it, that branched off into like, um, I guess like maybe Pantera would have been the next like kind of extreme band that I listened to that was on the radio, you know, because that's the only way I heard anything really. The stuff was on the radio because yeah, where I grew up, you know, I grew up in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and I grew up on the outskirts of town. I didn't know anyone who was into punk. I didn't know anyone who was like hardcore into metal or anything like that. Like it was just whatever was on the radio was what I listened to. So this is like early '90s, so like in in mid '90s, so like you know. Until I discovered college radio, it was basically, you know, Pantera was about the most insane thing that I I was going to say, that blows my mind that Pantera were even on the radio. That would never happen over here. Yeah, they were on like the alternative station. And I remember specifically, a lot of the stuff I remember was, it was around, it was in 1994, uh, when Woodstock 94 happened, they had the local radio station, they had an affiliate that was at Woodstock 94, like reporting live. Uh, okay. I remember hearing a lot of the bands that played Woodstock 94 and I remember that being a huge deal and like learning about like Nine Inch Nails and like a bunch, bunch of other stuff like that at that time. Mm. So that was like a big turning point. But once I discovered college radio, a lot of other stuff opened up. And they had a metal show called uh, The Rusty Cage and I remember I was listening to The Rusty Cage one night in like, I don't know, 1995 or 6 and they played Acid Bath. That was the first like actual like underground extreme music I think I ever heard um I didn't know what to make of it it was like I really didn't know what it was <laughs> yeah is this even music what do you call this like that was like a big deal yeah and you mentioned there a moment ago that you were sort of like dabbling with playing piano and and, and drums and things like that so was kind of play was music quite a big part of like your upbringing in general like were you kind of encouraged to play music or was it just something you always gravitated towards my, my parents made me take piano lessons my dad okay my dad like around the time when i was really young my dad had, took a sudden interest in piano and started taking lessons for himself because he really wanted to play um but he kind of he gave that up but but part of that was like he thought we all should take lessons so we all took piano lessons Oh, okay. And so, but I hated it and I wasn't, <laughs> wasn't good at reading sheet music and all that stuff. 
but it, it led me to improvising. So I would just not knowing what I was doing, I would just, I would just plink around on the piano. And, you know, if I was having a really bad day, if I was really sad, I would go way up high and I would play on the high notes. And if I was having a really bad, if bad day where I'm angry, I would go down to the low notes and I'd plink out shit on the low notes. That's just how I thought music worked. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, so that was like a big thing. But, but I came back to piano like later, like a few years after I quit taking lessons and really got into it and like learned and, and taught, taught myself theory and all that stuff. And then I got deep into drums and taught myself how to play drums. I got a drum set and I played drums really like as my main instrument up until about high school. And then um, mm. our guitarist, Matthew, um, who I've known since I was in preschool, he, he would come over and jam with me and he'd leave his guitar at my house sometimes and I would just pick it up and I eventually learned how to work, work it. And that's, that's how I learned how to play guitar. So was it not that you like kind of had any interest in guitar? It was just sort of happenstance that the guitar was there and you thought I, I'll give it a go. Yeah. Kind of. I mean, I thought it was cool. I thought guitar was cool. Like, you know, all my favorite bands were guitar based bands. So I definitely thought it was something that was cool, but, but yeah, I don't know. I just, it was just, yeah, it was just kind of around. Mm. It was like a new thing I could learn. Yeah. So what, what was the kind of draw to drums then? What, what kind of drew you to that? I really don't know. Um, honestly, I think I just, I, I like, I think I have a, a decent, like innate sense of rhythm. And so me picking up drums, like just, I think my parents saw that, like I had a, a affinity towards it, you know, like mm. bang on stuff. And they were just like, well, let's, let's get them like a little like cheapo drum set. We'll see if it like goes anywhere. And then that was, I don't know, kind of like with the guitar, it's like, well, now I have this drum set. I'll just, this is what I've got to make music with. So I'm going to do that. You know, it's really, it's just whatever I had. Um, yeah. There was, there were times when the only thing I had, you know, was just my boom box and I would, you know, press record and just like make noise into it, you know, or whatever. Like really my whole life has just been whatever's around me. I'm just going to use it to make art, you know? Mm. So then in terms of you actually kind of like, as you say, like encouraged by your parents to sort of pick up piano and then obviously when there was the affinity for drums, but like in terms of you actually like playing music and kind of starting bands and, and things like that, was that kind of like when you met Matthew or were you kind of dabbling around a little bit before that? Like where did that all come into it? Yes. Yeah, so it was, it was mainly Matthew. Um, whenever, around the time when I started playing drums is when he got, like an acoustic guitar or something like that. Right. Um, and so it was really the two of us just figuring out what to do. And I had like a neighbor or two that lived near me uh, who also had a guitar, didn't really know what they were doing with it. And none of us really knew what we were doing with it, but we would get together at my house and just hit record and we would just all make noise and Matthew, <laughs> yeah. Matthew would scream into the, the boom box or whatever. Uh, and that was just kind of how, and we, I don't know, we were all obsessed with like Nirvana and stuff and we just, we didn't know how to do what they were doing, but we just were like, we'll just go for it. And yeah, that was kind of like the first like band experience I had, but Matthew and I just kept at it and we both practiced so much at Matthew got guitar lessons and all that stuff. And then we just kept making music and making music and making music and forming bands that were doing nothing for the most part uh, until we finally formed out, honestly. And yeah. Kind of like a direct, a direct line to that. Yeah. So then in terms of kind of like 
the like live side of things i always find it interesting like what people's kind of local scenes were like and you you mentioned earlier like sort of when you were growing up that you didn't necessarily know many people that were kind of into like punk and metal and things like that yeah but was that like i guess kind of a bit later on down the line when you were playing music for yourself was there much of a scene in Baton Rouge? Because I like literally, I know the name Baton Rouge, but I know nothing else about the place. No, no one does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're not alone. Um, no, I mean the thing is, okay, I know now. Now I know that there was a scene. You know, like, like I've, I've, I know enough people who are older than me to know what was happening at the time. But like, the only scene I ever knew in Baton Rouge was like, kind of like later in high school there'd be all ages shows and little house shows, but it would all be like kids stuff, you know, it'd be nothing but high school kids and the bands didn't really know what they were doing. My band, we didn't really exactly know what we were doing. Um, that's the only scene I knew of now. At the same time, there were tons of, I mean, in the mid to late nineties, I know people that were now, I know people who were like throwing house shows and like there was a good punk scene actually. And um, even before that, there was actually somewhat of like a metal, hardcore like crossover scene mm. um but certainly nothing to write home about nothing no it wasn't anyone's destination um at any time and even when i got a little older and i started doing shows and my friends were booking shows and the, the bar started having like touring bands even then uh i wouldn't say that it was a huge scene it was really just both new orleans and baton rouge were like people would go to whichever city had the most stuff happening. Yeah. And so, yeah, but, but for the most part, it's been New Orleans. So a lot of my time was spent, once I got old enough, was going down to New Orleans to see shows. Yeah. And, and going to see shows that our, our singer, Brian, in fact, was booking. And that's how I met Brian, was just going to all the shows he was booking. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. So um, then in terms of like, I don't know, like those sort of like formative years, I always find it again, interesting sort of if there was like any sort of live experience where it kind of was a moment that sort of stuck with you or like was a moment where you kind of thought, oh, this is something that I can do. This is like an attainable goal sort of thing. So were there any shows that you were going to when you were younger that you kind of like stick out in the memory at all? Well, I think that like the very first thing was when I was maybe, I don't even know, 16 maybe going to one of these all ages shows and there was a band there that I, they weren't even very good and looking back they weren't even all that popular but like you know 50 kids were there yeah they knew the words to the songs that were on their little shitty cdr and were singing along to it and i was like that's what i want like i want yeah yeah that's like that seems like success that i could achieve it won't be playing a stadium but like there could be 50 kids at the YMCA, like, you know, that know the words to the songs. So that was kind of the first thing, but it wasn't until later, I think, whenever I started going to these shows that Brian was booking, like the punk shows, like when I was maybe 18 or 19. Um, the, the first show that really like blew me away was um, uh, Lightning Bolt and this band, uh, USA as a Monster. And okay. Brian booked that show at this warehouse he used to live at. and that was the first like real like punk show, like with grownups drinking and like, you know, it was like, you know, graffiti everywhere, that kind of thing. Um, that was the first show where I was like, oh, like this is a, a whole thing and you can, and you can make any kind of music you want in this and you can like be as weird as you want. And like, there's all these people here and they're like around my age and, 
there's like a thing there's a thing happening here that I want to yeah that was like the first big experience I had with with like DIY you know Mm. um, so so then in terms of like your like playing I know we've already kind of touched upon sort of you and Matthew sort of messing around in sort of high school and, and things like that but then I guess in terms of like the first quote unquote band that you'd consider your first proper band mm-hmm. were you were you playing drums in that band or were you playing guitar yeah i was playing drums uh i played drums in all the bands i played with with matthew until Val started oh wow okay yeah um so so yeah that that was like the that was the, that was my main thing because i didn't think i was really good enough to play guitar in a band and it really wasn't and Val was like a big experiment for me to figure out if like like I was ner- the first few practices I was like nervous to be playing and like was kind of looking at Matthew for approval to, like, like <laughs> yeah. actually doing the right thing or whatever uh so yeah that that was that was how it went and then after that I really I only played drums in like one band after that just I don't, know, I don't even have a drum set anymore <laughs> oh well that, well that was going to be my next question do you still sort of dabble at all or not well so I have a little bit I've played on some Val stuff whenever I've had to um, whenever we were in between drummers, I played a show. Uh, I recorded some stuff. Um, I recorded a couple of covers. I did all the drums on one of the EPs we did, um, whatever that was, 2018. Um, mm. So yeah, it's like it, it's come up a little bit, but I don't practice enough for me to be really like in good shape enough to. You have to really be like in the in the groove with that stuff. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, my body isn't like used to it anymore so (laughs) real i'd have to like i'd have to really like practice at it yeah yeah and so in terms of those kind of bands before thou like what kind of style of music were they like because were they kind of iterations of metal and things like that that kind of led to thou or has it kind of been a a broad scope of different sort of genres well (laughs) the thing is we didn't really know what the fuck we were doing (laughs) <laughs> yeah for a long time so um so like we were matthew and i our bands were very like i don't know we knew we wanted something that was kind of like aggressive and sort of metal-ish sort of grunge-ish and then at the time a lot of the stuff we were interested in was more technical stuff and like so I don't know, it was a big mishmash of crap that we didn't have like a, a good distinctive vision for, you know, um, mm. which is a problem with a band. Um, <laughs> yeah. It sounds like you're throwing together a bunch of shit, but, um, but that's, that was kind of how it was. And that was one of the things about forming Val was like, with Val we had like a very, not a very specific, but a fairly specific like thing that we wanted to do, like a style, mm. you know, we made a choice to chase after a style um so i guess that's that was the real thing that helped us to focus and not just go all over the place with it yeah and like with those bands before did you kind of do anything of note did you do any touring any recording or was it just literally just like bit projects to kind of find your feet we would record we had we had ambitions um we would record and put out little cdrs for our friends or whatever uh, we had no idea how to tour, no clue. Like, literally, like when Val first started, before Brian joined, we literally were just like cold calling venues, being like, "Hey, we're a band. Can we play?" 
Uh, like literally <laughs> had no idea how it worked. D didn't know anyone that had ever toured, uh, none of that stuff. So that was like, <laughs> yeah. So when you say, did we do anything of note? I would say pretty much no. <laughs> yeah. So then in terms of like the formation of foul, like I'm not going to go into it too much because like people can research it for themselves if they want, but like for your transition, like from going from drums to guitar, what what kind of spurred that decision like as you said like those first couple of practices kind of looking at Matthew for approval yeah so what yeah what what kind of sparked that decision for you to to move over to guitar that's a good question I guess I haven't I haven't thought about that a ton I guess um I guess really yeah I, I guess really what it was is that I was excited at the prospect of being able to write stuff like you know as a drummer I would help with the arrangements whatever but getting to actually have a say with how something would sound, that was the big thing for me. And like, cause you know, I, I knew enough about music and from playing piano and being like a theory nerd, um, like I knew enough about how to make music and how to create melodies and all that stuff. So it was like just an opportunity for me to actually uh, follow through on that. So, mm. so I knew guitar and I, I played guitar well enough to be able to write some stuff. So that was kind of the main thing. Also, yeah. at, at the time, like our first drummer, uh, you know, he was a really good drummer. He was better than me. Um, and I was like, well, he should play drums. Like, <laughs> yeah. let's do two. We, we need two guitars for this. Like, I'll do it. Um, so, yeah, that was kind of the that was kind of the catalyst. Yeah. And as you mentioned a moment ago, obviously with Fowl, you kind of had like uh, a quote unquote vision of like what you were aiming for and what you were kind of like, what you wanted to achieve with it. And obviously like now later down the line, like I think it's, I don't mean this to be disparaging because I still think you guys have got loads of room to grow, but like you can kind of see from the beginning to now, like yes. where that's kind of gone. Yes, the trajectory, yeah. Yeah, but in terms of those like first kind of like early iterations of the bands, like even before Brian and like when Brian kind of joins, like I don't know, was it always to have that kind of heavy ethereal kind of sound, or has that kind of grown as you've kind of learned each other as musicians? Well, it definitely has grown, but the the initial idea was definitely something that was going to be really really heavy. And also, um, and also, yeah, kind of ethereal or like emotional in a way. Um, the 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 touchstones for our very first material was like post like post metal stuff, like uh, the early early Pelican records, like the first EP, mm. uh, Isis, Panopticon, uh, like those kind of things. Um, we wanted big, just real big sounding stuff with big emotional chords yeah um, but also like just really 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 heavy um so yeah that was kind of that was kind of the initial idea of it i think we've definitely taken that and expanded on it now um but but kind of the general idea i mean i don't know we took a detour into just being like more aggressive after our first like record or so uh, we took like a good two years or three years just like just did riffs um for the most part um, mm. 
but yeah, so it has been kind of like a straight line though towards towards more um, more fully formed version of that original idea. Yeah. Yeah. And in terms of like when you were kind of starting out and kind of doing shows, like this might just be like a naivety on my part, but I remember when I was younger, like anything that didn't kind of really have a groove or wasn't fast or wasn't heavy, I didn't really kind of have an interest in. And it's only kind of been latter, lastly in life that obviously my music taste has expanded that I have that affinity and appreciation for now. But so for when you were kind of starting out as a band, like what was the reaction to, to you guys when you sort of started off in the scene? Like, cause I think now like people who are Val fans, they understand it. They know what the project is about and they are invested in it. Yeah. And I, I think for an outsider, there's an easy way to kind of come into that because you have all these different reference points to pull in from. Yeah. But what was it like in those early days? Were people like, what the fuck is this kind of thing? Well, I mean, so the first uh, two-ish two years were without Brian and we weren't really doing much. We were all pretty much only playing in Baton Rouge and playing for people we knew for the most part. And none of those people really listened to or not none, but the majority of them did not listen to the stuff that we were like trying to sound like. So for those people, they were very impressed because they were like, I've never heard stuff like this before. Oh, that's cool. And also because we spent basically the first, like, I don't know, eight, eight months or more, we spent just practice. We got like six songs or so, and we just practiced those songs. We got them perfectly. Like we were extremely prepared for our first show and we're very deliberate about it. We practiced like two times a week. Um, real, really just like, I practically was living at the practice space. I was there so much. Um, and we weren't practicing, we were hanging out there. Um, so it was like, we, it was the first band, I, first one of our bands that I think our friends saw that like, we really pulled it off. Like we really came together with it. We made our first show into a huge deal. Like invited so many of our friends and like a bunch of people showed up. It's like a big deal. Um, so there was that. But then after Brian joined, you know, he brought with him all of his, his contacts from, from booking shows for like 10 years at that point or so. Um, and so he kind of got us in front of the people that he was like the people in like his kind of scene, which were for the most part, people that were like basically the remnants of the late nineties, uh, DIY scene. So you had a mm. lot of like screamo people, uh, a lot of like vegan straight edge hardcore people, Th those were the people we were playing in front of for our first tours and those people I for the most part it was a great reception um but the the best reception came from like the stray like metalhead guy that would come to the show or you know or maybe like some of those some of those screamo people or straight edge hardcore people who like also listen to other stuff like th that's where like the best reactions were coming from for the most yeah part. we definitely got a lot of like weird looks <laughs> yeah because we would show up and like, you know, me and Matthew were just like trying to find where the weed is. And, you know, like, it's just like a, we were kind of a fish out of water on our first couple tours for sure. Mm. Reaction to that was a little weird. And in terms of those kind of first tours, as you said before, like before, like Val kind of started and even like in those early days, you, you kind of had no like idea of like what touring life was like, how to kind of put together a tour and things like that. So I guess like when you like, 
eventually did start hitting the road. What was that experience like for you? And kind of did it, did, did you have any kind of like expectations of what tour was going to be like? Did it meet that? Was it better? Like, what was it all like for you? Uh, I definitely didn't have any expectations. Uh, I knew it wasn't going to be glamorous at all. I knew it was going to be like a slog. I knew it was going to be, you know, us sleeping on floors and all that shit. Um, yeah. But, but I mean, yeah, the, the first like couple years of touring were just like a dream. Like it was just like, our first tour was like, I, I, I was just so incredibly excited for it. I didn't like, had no, no care in the world about how many people were showing up or whatever. I mean, that really carried on for the first maybe five to seven years or so. I was just like extremely stoked. And even I remember our first huge tour was like six weeks that we did both coasts of the US. And, uh, and like, I remember coming home or being on the way home on the, on the sixth week and being like, man, I could go for like another three, if, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. That, which is insane for me to think about now, but, um, but yeah, I was very much, very much excited for it, regardless of what was happening. And I mean, most of the shows, we had decent shows and we did well, you know, considering no one knew who the hell we were, but like, I was stoked when there was, you know, four people there, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, we played, we played plenty of shows to two and three people on, on the first couple tours. And like, I was still like, just, I was so excited to be playing the songs. I just, I loved the songs so much. Hmm. And then in terms of kind of like the growth of the bands, like I was trying to think when exactly I first heard you, but I, I couldn't pinpoint the moment. It was just, it's just all, I think all of a sudden you were in my life and you're there to stay kind of thing now. <laughs> but like for, for you as a band, like was there a, like a turning point moment that you can kind of remember that the crowds did grow from those two, three people that people were coming out to see Thou rather than to see the, the the other bands or whatever, or kind of recognizing your music and, and shouting out your band at all? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I mean, 2000, like later 2007 and, and like 2008 were kind of the time for that when I first, mm. you know, whenever we had like labels, smaller, small DIY labels were like offering to do stuff with us, um, was like a moment where I was like, oh, someone wants to actually put out our, our records you know, that was because I mean we self-released the first one um so that was that was the first thing and then whenever uh Sun asked us to do two shows with them in 2008 was like a huge that was that was when it was like you know wow this is like a thing um because they were you know Greg was trying to uh, court us for Southern Lord and um, mm. that was like when when that when he like when he offered for us to play the sun and was like talking to us about, you know, putting out a record for us was like, that was when I was like, Oh, and then other labels were getting interested. That that's kind of when I was like, Oh, this is a thing that other people care about. Like, yeah. More than I thought they would. Yeah. And in terms of like the sort of like work rate of, of you as a band, like, again, I can't pinpoint the exact moment, but I remember like from when I kind of first discovered you, like you were either always putting out material or you were always kind of touring you were always a band that was kind of like even if you weren't necessarily here in the uk or in the europe in europe like you were always a band busy doing something so has that always been the mentality of the band of like like right this thing's done now on to the next or or are you kind of like just constantly 
got a pool of ideas working and then you just kind of pick and choose? Well, I think there was a moment there, there, there were some years there where what we were doing is um, we had, a, this is like around maybe 2008 or nine. Um, there were a lot of, all these labels that were hitting us up, they're like the DIY labels were like, hey, do you want to do this? Or do you want to do a split with you know this band or bands were hitting us up? We would just say yes to all of them. And then, mm. and then it became a thing where like, all right, well, we need to write music for all these splits. And then we would, we would write and write and write. And then we'd do one huge recording session where we did, we record every single song we have. And then those songs would like end up on records and like, you know, two of them would come out this month and then two would come out maybe the next year and even maybe a year after that. So it looked like we were just like constantly like writing and moving on, but really we were just pulling a shitload of songs together, <laughs> yeah. going them out or whatever. Um, so that's definitely how it's worked. We had just had a huge burst of creativity for a lot of years where, you know, we were just shitting out music. Um, mm. And I guess that's kind of, I mean, it's slowed down now. I mean, that's what's funny now is we're all freaking out right now because we haven't been writing music um, and it's so odd, but, but then it's like, well, we have a record coming out like this week and like, we all have this other shit we've been doing. We just released a bunch of covers. Like there's, there's been a lot of stuff actually happening yeah but since we don't have anything right now that's like in the works if we all like at least brian and i both feel like very like lost at sea with that it's just we usually don't have this much downtime yeah yeah and in terms of like that as you say writing and having this sort of pool of of stuff the thing i always find interesting especially with this sort of style of music that you play is kind of how the like the writing process kind of works and obviously like with Val obviously you have like shorter songs but then you have like songs that are uh, sort of 10 12 13 minutes long or whatever and kind of have a bit of breathing space mm -hmm. and the the other aspect of that that I find interesting you might not be able to speak on his behalf but with a vocalist in that because like for me personally like vocals is what I'm drawn to and I think that you guys do it really well. Like you mentioned earlier with the, the stuff you're doing with, with Emma, that Brian has this ability to kind of know when he's needed and know when to step back. And I don't know whether that's something that's come with time or not. <laughs> yeah, but... def definitely. Like in the, <laughs> yeah. in the early days, he would write like three paragraphs worth of lyrics and would get all of them out and would basically always be singing. He would sing during my solos and stuff. <laughs> never stops that's like definitely a new like that's just, just like with everything else like we've all like learned a lot of shit over time it's like he's learned how to like where to fit in a little better mm. but that's that's what was going to be my question have you have you kind of like i don't want to say like you've nailed it because as again like growth is a massive thing within music but like have you kind of got a formula that you now have in in the way that you approach like thou music in, rather than it being like oh, this will be a cool riff, let's slot that in here, and now we've got a 16-minute song kind of thing, that you kind of have a process of how you break down your songs. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think we've fallen into a routine of sorts, probably not for better. Um, but yeah, I, it used to be I would have about half of a song and Matthew would have about half of a song. We'd bring them both to practice and they just so happened to both fit together. like, mm. or, or they would at least kind of fit. And that's why a lot of our early stuff you can kind of break it up into two sections kind of easily. Um, but now it's, it's much different. We're like, 
it's more likely that I have a whole song or he has a whole song and it's, it's, it's done like that. And then maybe I'll throw a riff into his song or vice versa once in a while, but that's, that's definitely changed. Um, and just like, uh, I don't know. I mean, my writing process has definitely been much, much different in general. Um, I think I'm a lot harder to please now, um, in terms of what I'm willing to put out there. And I think also the huge thing that's changed is now we all chime in on arrangement stuff. Whereas it used to just be like, I would show up with a song and be like, this is the song. And everyone would be like, all right, maybe change this. And then we maybe change that. But now it's like, we all really have opinions on it. And like, it goes through a rigorous process of like figuring out what goes where and how many times things happen, mm. all that kind of thing. So it's, it's actually a much more difficult process now. Yeah. and. The other thing I wanted to ask you about before I kind of delve into sort of like the covers that you mentioned earlier, but like is kind of your your live aspect. And I think like even though the music that you play on the surface is quite kind of low energy and slow and things like that, like there's something really compelling about watching you guys live. And the thing that I've got kind of, again, this might just be me watching it and kind of the way I've consumed it, but I, this is why I wanted to ask you, is there kind of any elements of improvisation like within your sets or is it very kind of like structured? Cause I think like, so if I give you an example, the last time I saw you guys um, was when you headlined Fluff Festival last year. And that set, like there was part like way through where I remember like, so I was right at the front at the beginning, but I kind of stepped back just to kind of like take everything in. And I just remember there was sort of like a moment where it felt like the the set shifted. And I don't know whether that was intentional or if like that was just something you felt like, right, the energy of this crowd wants this. So we've lent in that direction. Am I reading too much into that? Well, no, I, I, you don't think you're reading too much into it. But for us, that would never happen with us. We really don't do shit on the fly. Think Things are very like, this is how the songs are. We decide to set ahead of time. And specifically with Fluff, we, we definitely had, I remember us talking about the set at Fluff because uh, I can't remember who played right before us, but not long before us. Uh, that was The Body, I think. Uh, oh, really? Oh, oh, no, that was the next day. I can't remember who it was. I, I, no. well, I know at least like a couple bands before us. Okay, okay. So I remember Graf Warlock played, obviously. Yeah. Um, and then there was a band that I'd never heard of, but who like everyone knew all the words and were screaming and crowd surfing and shit. Um, that were kind of like, I want to say maybe in like a Touche Amore kind of style. I don't remember. But anyway, um, those were the bands that were playing. Mm. I was, we were kind of like, well, shit, like, do we even bother, like, do we even bother, like, trying to, like, do a set that's, like, energetic at all or, like, that's going to rile people up in that frenzy? Because they're not going to know the words probably to our songs. Like, this isn't, this doesn't seem like the crowd for, like, why don't we go the opposite direction and like, oh, well, like all these energetic bands played, well, then we're going to do like a really slow <laughs> yeah. set to listen to, which is what we call a pain set. And we do, we do that a lot, of, a lot of the time when we're just like, we'll just go in the absolute opposite direction so as not to even try to like compete with the other like bands that everyone's freaking out over or whatever. So, so that set in particular, that was the mindset. And, and definitely when we play the song, now there's pretty much 0% improvisation like we play the songs exactly as we practice them um 
and try to just get it as tight as we can. The way our songs are written, just it's not really built for too much improvisation. For yeah, yeah. And so the other thing that I wanted to move on to because it was something that you did do at Fluff, but obviously you've kind of become synonymous with it is this kind of affiliation with cover songs, mm-hmm. and like I think. I think the first one that I heard you guys do was um, on. They did like a like loads of bands got together and did the the Nevermind covers album. Yeah. yeah. And I think like your cover on that is one that stands out, and it's just sort of like. Yeah. What did we do? Uh, Endless Nameless on that one. Yeah. Yeah. And then, like, obviously, like, since then, obviously, you've done, like, the whole Nirvana album, you did, like, the Misfits cover set and things like that. So where's that kind of affiliation with wanting to do covers come from? And, like, I don't know, how do you kind of process making those songs still a Thou song? Because, like, that's what I find amazing is, like, you can still pick up the, like, it's a cover, but... Like if you didn't know who the band was, it would it would still be a kick-ass style song. Hmm. I think it's there's a lot less thought than I think people think goes into it. Um, for one, it's like the, the the reason for the covers really is just like it's fun to do those things live, and in the, especially in the early days when our songs were much longer and slower, like it'd be hard to get a reaction out of the audience, and like you know playing aneurysm is a way to just get everyone fucking hyped up. Um, so it was really for like a live thing. Um, but in terms of like how they come together, it's really just, it's just very simple. It's really just, uh, you know, for one, it's whoever figures out how to play it. Basically. <laughs> yeah. Whoever's the one, and it's usually me that sits down and is like, here are the notes. Like that's gonna be, however I decide to do that is how this cover's gonna kind of be. Like that's gonna be the tempo, whatever. Um, the thing is like, we don't have to work very hard for, for example, a Nirvana song to sound like a Thou song because the way, I mean, like with our tuning and with the amount of distortion we're using and shit, like it's just, it's automatically, when I mean, we're playing almost all these songs an octave below how they're originally played. So it's just, it's gonna, there's nothing we can do to keep it from sounding like that unless we change our setup, you know? Mm. I pulled out a standard tune like Stratocaster and play through like something without as much distortion. Like it's just, that's how it's going to, so it's really just like, it's, it's by nature of how we sound gear wise and just the way we play. Like, it's just, we don't even think about it unless we're going to like, I don't know, slow something down a little bit or something or add some noise in there. Like that, that's about all the thought that goes into it. It's mostly yeah. like, kind of straightforward ideas. And is there kind of like a cover that you would personally like love to do that's maybe in the in the works or is it something that you've kind of like thought about or is it yeah. I don't know like is it just kind of spare at the moment sort of thing? No, there's there's always an endless backlog of covers. Personally, like I'm I'm very much over the cover. Like there's just been too many. <laughs> yeah, something that we do whenever we don't have any songs to write or don't have any ideas. Um, so like. I'm very much like not in that zone lately, but I mean, yeah, we have, we have a list of, of songs we'll do. So I don't know if, but I don't want to say them because then people are going to be like, when, when are y'all going to do this one? When are you going to do yeah, this Yeah, yeah, no, 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 that's fine. But yeah, also I don't want to give, a couple of them are shit. I don't think anyone can guess. So like, I'd, I'd rather that be a surprise. So. Okay. No, that's cool. 
And then, like, kind of on a similar tangent and leads us sort of nicely full circle is kind of like the collaborative sort of side of work that you've done. Obviously, now the stuff with, with Emma, but you've done stuff with, like, The Body in the past and various other bands. And, like, I don't know. I've, I found, again, like, as I've kind of my musical taste has broadened like within the sort of circle that you exist in and i always kind of quote the bands or artists like yourself like lingua ignota like emma like the body that kind of have the and, and full of hell's another one that kind of have this like unique sound within themselves but find themselves within this peer group that just like seem to all work and love well together so like for, for you guys like what's the interesting turn in doing the collaborative work and how has that kind of helped progress what thou is as a project well um i think that it's just a good way for us to step out of our skin a little bit i mean it's just a good way to like do things that we normally don't get to do um and also like i've i've said before it's you know with all these people, like the people you mentioned, as well as the people who like record us and uh, take pictures and, you know, the people, the labels we're fluid with, like, this is just, this is our, this is our community. So it's just, we're going to, we're always pulling people from our community to work with. Um, mm. Whether that's like locally, like having our friends help us assemble records or be in our videos or whatever, like, or if it's, you know, other bands, like that's just kind of the way we work. And so, I think we were just mainly interested in, in like having Emma as part of that community and kind of joining our worlds in that way. Um, that's really, so yeah, on a, on a, how it came together kind of, uh, in a, how it came together kind of sense, that's, that's kind of the impetus there. It's just like, we want this person to, to be in our community and, and we want to work with them, whatever that means. Um, yeah. But definitely, yeah, like, like we were hoping to, pull from her energy and, and, and kind of exploit some of the, some of the things she does that we don't get to do, like, especially vocally and kind of pull that into what we do. Mm. And obviously in terms of like how the, the work with you and Emma kind of came to be, like obviously it's been well documented that it was sort of something that kind of was born from Roadburn and like, obviously, unfortunately it didn't happen this year which I was totally bummed out about because it was going to be the first year that I was actually going. <laughs> but like for just in terms of the festival in general, like you've kind of done various things with them in the past. So like what what is that relationship like? Because like from an outsider, like Roadburn appears to be this like wonderful thing, this amazing community of artists and stuff like that. So like what does what does the festival mean to you and why does it have such like, a special affinity with Val? Well, I think the reason why why it has such a special thing for us is twofold. For one, it's the way that we are treated there and the way that Walter has kind of made us feel welcome there and the way beyond that, like the way that the, the crews that work behind the scenes have treated us and just like everyone is there to give you all the tools that you need to make it work. And they... Mm. and by you being there means, and them inviting you there means they believe in what you do and they're going to like put their full force behind it. Um, like 
our very first road burn, we pulled up and went to the, uh, we went to O13 to get our credentials and we're talking to the lady at the desk and Walter walked up and he was like, guys, hi. And like, just immediately started talking. He was like, I'm so excited that you're here. Like, you know, all this, like just made us feel incredibly special and welcome. And, and I know that he does that with, with all the artists that play, he goes out of his way to. Um, and I mean, when we played in his hometown of Utrecht, like, the la like last year or whatever it was, um, like he came and he worked the door. He, he was like, I want to, I want to work the door for the show. And, and he, he took people's money and gave them the wristbands. And That's awesome. It's like, he's just that kind of person. Um, so there's that plus the people that go, you know, they're just, a lot of them are just the kind of people that we want at our shows. And they're just, you know, it's just not your typical metal people it's not like it's just people who are open to a, a, a different kind of experience than at other festivals and that's kind of a and who are willing to take a chance I think is the other mm. thing. Um, who are willing to like watch us and Emma play a, a 40 minute set of songs they've never heard before and like stay for the whole thing you know that's, mm. that's the essence of it for me and because obviously like as I mentioned obviously the project between you and Emma was kind of born from the collaborative set that you would have been doing this summer sort of thing and obviously like it's obviously now grown to to the album and things like that and do you think that like in some aspects like there's been a silver lining with the the way that this project has kind of panned out that it has been able to be more fully fleshed out and has maybe created an opportunity for later down the line like for you guys to tour together as a as a package and, and things like that rather than it, it just being that one-off yeah, I mean, we're definitely going to tour together. We had we had plans to do that before the pandemic happened, so that that's definitely a thing. Um, but I mean, yeah, we're definitely planning on. I mean, like that's the thing is like now that we've done this record with Emma, it's like she she is our family now, and like we're gonna just like with the body or, or full of hell or any of the other bands, like even if we don't do another record together, like we're gonna we're gonna continue to like tour together and see each other out on the road, and like you know if if I go to any of these people's city, they're going to come see me. Like, you know, it's, it's like a, it's a friendship. So um, that, that's, that's the thing that's going to be carried forward, if not anything musically or, or even touring wise. Um, and not just that, but, you know, I think we're both going to just take each, take stuff from each other's music going forward, you know, with our respective projects, you know, mm. definitely going to try, try to at least. Yeah. yeah well that that leads me on nicely to what i was going to ask next is in terms of you mentioned earlier like when you were kind of writing for for this record that you kind of had obviously emma's voice in mind and, and things like that but when time comes to do the next like solo thou project do you think that you'll be sort of putting influences back from that or do you think you'll strip things right back to what thou is all about like how how's your process with that i do think that like doing a record like this record has meant that it's gotten some stuff out of my system that maybe i don't need to put into a thou record okay uh, but i mean it definitely like it lets me know that if if i want to go there i can you know but mm. i want to if i want to pull off something that's more like the valley or one of those other like kind of non-valley tracks like you know we it's in our wheelhouse and we kind of know how to do it now. Um, but I think more likely it's, it's, 
you know, we're always just swinging back and forth. Like you know, whenever, sometimes when we do a, uh, sometimes we'll do like a really stripped down EP or something. It means that the next thing we do is going to be really majestic and grand. And we just kind of yeah. waffle back and forth between those extremes a lot. So, so I don't know, maybe the next thing we do will be like super aggressive. We'll see. Yeah. We'll get some sort of fast bits and blast beats in there. <laughs> maybe. I mean, now that Tyler's in our band. Yeah. I mean, I have been wanting to, let him kind of open up with that. Although he gets to do that with his other band, Yalcha. So, I mean, I don't know. Maybe he's maybe <laughs> And just before I kind of start like rounding things off, like I obviously in doing my research to, to this kind of like read various other interviews that you've done and, and things like that. And one of the things that came up was you're kind of doing a bit of sort of solo writing and solo projects and, and stuff like that. So can you expand on that? Like what are those projects about? Yeah. So, there's a handful of different things. I mean, this, this year has been mostly me collaborating with people um, in some manner. I, I do a lot of solo, like electronic things. Um, and then also I, so I just finished up a collaboration with my friend Marissa uh, from the band Screaming Females, uh, working, oh, cool. working on her solo record, um, which it's me and her and like a couple of her friends. Um, so I was doing more like, I don't know, kind of production on that, like supplying a lot of like the, the drums and um, kind of backing instruments and stuff. Um, so there was, there's that. I've been doing stuff on my own. At the beginning of the pandemic, I did a lot of like, just like live streaming, like ambient music and stuff like that. Um, I also did a couple scoring things for fetish, for fetish films. Uh, mm. with, uh, my friend Vex's uh, uh, kind of like art, art house porn uh, stuff. She's, from the UK as well. Um, so I did a bunch of that. I just finished one of those, which is like a huge project. And cause it was like 18 minutes of music that I had to just like pull out my ass. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, I definitely want to do more scoring type stuff. It's definitely like, uh, it's like a huge challenge and really yeah. working, on, working on the stuff with Marissa is a huge challenge too. Cause her music is way poppier than what I'm used to. And like definitely kind of brought me out of my wheelhouse a bit. Um, yeah. So I did that stuff. Uh, our third guitarist, KC, uh, worked on a solo record uh, that they're hoping to put out this year. And I, I worked on them with that and did a lot of the drums and production on that. Um, I don't know. Brian and I just recorded a, a stupid cover that's not going to be a bow thing. Um, I don't know. There's just been tons, tons and tons of shit. And there's still a lot of stuff I haven't finished yet. So I don't know. It's It's been just like an extremely busy time for me. Yeah. And just in terms of like that kind of like the the sort of like more poppier side of things, and I, I I'm glad you brought up the fetish films because I that was something I saw and I wanted to ask you about. Yeah, it, yeah. But I'll, I'll touch that in a minute. But like, as you say, kind of taking you out of your comfort zone. Do you enjoy that side of things, like where it's sort of pushing your limits, or I don't know, like is it something that you're kind of touching with a bit of trepidation? I mean, it was kind of like a thing where I really didn't know if it was something I could do. Uh, you know, I like. I liked a lot of Marissa's solo records, um, like her very early stuff, um, huge into back in the day. And so like, yeah, when she was like, Hey, do you want to help me do some stuff? And I was just like, yeah, I do. And then, you know, she sent me a song and then I sat down with it being like, can I do this? Like, do I know what I'm doing here? And then just kind of, I don't know, figured it out and left it up to her to, to figure out if I could do it or not. Mm. So yeah, I, I don't know about trepidation, but definitely I was, I'm always concerned about doing things right and doing things 
in a way where it's legit. I just want it to sound like it came from someone who, you know, like this is the real deal. Cause yeah, you know, yeah. We work with people who do stuff that way. Um, so that's the real concern. Yeah. Mm. And then in terms of like the, the fetish films and, and things like that, is, you mentioned obviously it's with a friend and things like that. So, cause obviously when I saw that you were doing it, that's what I was kind of interested in is like how you even got into that. So was it something that they approached you to sort of like work with and, and how do you kind of like, how does that kind of work? Like, well, that was, the... so she's someone that was already in our gym. Actually we met at Fluff Fest. Um, oh, okay. But cause she, uh, her partner uh, is in the band Moloch. Um, oh, okay. So we kind of got introduced that way, but I was familiar with what she did before that. Um, and so we kind of talked and, you know, we were talking about her work a little bit and we didn't talk about doing anything together, but it was kind of like later down the line uh, when she was trying to figure out, because she did a couple collaborations, like she did a collaboration with Boy Harsher, or at least one of the, the members of Boy Harsher. And I think it was like a, a way for her to be like, huh, what if I got people that were like already kind of established in their world and kind of like brought them in to do music. Um, so because of us meeting and us being like sharing a lot of similar interests, she was like, I'll, I'll just ask Andy, maybe he'd be interested. Uh, and that's kind of how that came together. I really, I don't know. I was just like, I didn't, she, she had listened to some of the, like the solo stuff I put up on Bandcamp and it kind of like, I think that's what was like, oh, well, I think I, I think I could use stuff like this. So yeah, that's kind of how that came together. Yeah. And just in turn, like, you might not be able to, to discuss it too much. I don't know, because I don't know that world or the process too much. But like, in terms of your music being put to that, do you have to kind of like, I don't know, does she kind of give you like, right, this is what the quote unquote narrative is? Like, how does it like kind of work? Yeah, yeah, we, we basically talk, she, we basically what we do is through our conversations, we create a sort of mood board, you know, she was like, here's the idea behind this video. Here's some things I'm thinking about in terms of concepts or types of music or sounds. Um, and then she gives me a rough cut. And then I take that, take all her notes and I look at it and I say, here's what I'm kind of thinking about in terms of touchstones for me. Um, and also here's like, you know, two minutes of music, just like very rough, just like this is kind of roughly what I'm thinking about. Um, and then from there, like with, with this last one, she just took that and was like, I like this, just do that. And then I did it. And then she liked the first thing I sent and was like, I'll use it. But the one, the one before that, that I did was more like way more back and forth, like take this kind of sound out. I want more of it. Like, you know, at the end of the day, yeah. this, like, this is, this is her, this is her thing. Like I am, I am one small part of this. There's like her, there's the performers, like she's doing a lot of stuff outside of just the film and the way she presents it. She's, she writes a whole essay about it. She, you know, she's taking Polaroids and, and doing all kinds of other production work. So it's like my, my role is, is very small in the grand scheme. So I'm really giving deference to like her vision for it, mm. which I like because it, it gives me better. I like to work within like defined parameters. Um, it's very helpful for me to do that. So yeah, I like it when someone else can be like, here's the general boundaries I want you to have with it. Yeah. And this is more purely like my curiosity of how it works. But so you say that she sends you a rough cut. So do you get like the the film and then do you sort of write the music to that or do you have the music written and like yeah, yeah. cut it down? With, with Yeah, I, what I do is, at least what I have done with these is she sends me a rough cut. 
I do something kind of roughly to it. And then I wait for her to give me the final, the final video cut. And then I specifically there, I write down timestamps and events that I want things to happen. Uh, okay, cool. And then I, and then I tailor, uh, you know, I tailor it to that. Yeah. That it actually like matches up with the events on the screen. Um, cause it's all, I mean, cause a lot of these films, they're, they're, well, at least not well, the last one is definitely, it's a straight line, you know, it right. intensity. The one before that was a little more all over the place and I was just kind of riding the, the ups and downs of it. Um, so it really just depends on, on the film. Okay. That's, no, that's, I appreciate you telling me because uh, I've always found that kind of interesting, like with film and movie and TV scores, like how yeah. that kind of process works. So I appreciate you kind of sort of going into that detail. Sure, yeah. Um, just before I do sort of let you go, Andy, obviously you've got the new record coming out this Friday. As I said, by the time this is out, people will have heard it. I'm sure they'll have loved it. But like, what's kind of the next thing that's been discussed with Thou? Like, have you kind of been talks of like what the next thing is or are you kind of waiting until things have mellowed out with the pandemic and, and go from there? We definitely were waiting a little bit, but I think it's been long enough now. We're like, all right, we need, we need to fucking figure something out. Um, definitely a full length, I think, is the next thing we're all thinking about. It's just a really a matter of, uh, I mean, Matt, uh, Brian has a lot of ideas, conceptual ideas, but it's, it's going to be down to Matthew and I kind of deciding what we want it to kind of sound like and what direction. And we keep kind of flip-flopping on what that's going to be. Um, so that's the thing. The writing has been very slow going. Um, mm. partially because I've been distracted with so much other shit um, and, and, <laughs> yeah. and with this record coming out um, but yeah full full length is definitely full length and then whenever we can touring yeah yeah perfect things. brilliant um, Andy how I like to end these is to to ask my guests um, what their favourite song is but with a bit of a twist and you might have to rack your brain because we haven't had any live shows in a while but I'm going to give it a shot um, so what's your favorite Thou song that you like to play live and why? <laughs> it's funny you ask that because I'm, I'm actually working on an article that I hope we can finish today where I, I interviewed all my bandmates about what their favorite uh, Thou song is. So this oh, cool. is kind of fresh in my mind. Um, but, but, it, it, but that's one of the things we touched on is like it differs between the songs I like to listen that I would want to listen to on the record or that I think are like great on record and ones that we play live. Um, so I don't know, for me, it comes down to what's fit, like physically fun to play with my fingers. Like it's not mm. so much about the mood. It's just something that I'm not sick. The, I'm not sick of the motions that I have to make with my fingers. Um, so I don't know, I guess for me, at least of the ones that we've had in rotation in the past five years, um, I would say probably by endurance, we conquers probably mine. It's yeah. The first song off summit. Um, I think that's one that I'm, I'm still, I'm still feeling good about, but honestly it, it goes in and out cause we play, we basically pick like 15 to 15 or so songs and we play those songs for a long time until we start to work in, bring back some other old ones or work in new ones. And so like that one's just been in the rotation, but not for more than maybe like three years. So yeah, there's a few that have been in the rotation for like 12 years that I just like am fucking sick of playing. <laughs> Um, yeah so it's it's not so much about what i love to play live it's more about what i'm not sick of yet i think yeah <laughs> that's fair enough perfect andy thank you very much for your time um as i mentioned the album is fucking rad like it's really cool that to see what you guys have done 
integrating Emma, and I, I'm really stoked to see what you guys have got lined up in the future as well. Thank you. I appreciate you saying that, and it was a pleasure talking to you. Perfect. Brilliant. Thank you very much, Andy. Take care. Yeah, have a good day. So there we have it, folks. Again, a huge thank you to Andy for taking some time out to have a little chat with me, and especially as there was a hurricane imminent and he was sort of prepping food and things like that and kind of get ready to bunk down. So really, really appreciate that. Um, as always, you can keep up to date with whatever Thou are doing with um, on all various social media platforms, which will be linked in the description edit notes of this episode. I don't know what I'm talking about right now. I'm I'm really bambling, bambling, rambling today. Sorry, everyone. Um, but yeah, all their details will be put in the, the show notes. Um, I'm going to keep this short and sweet because I do seem to be losing the plot a little bit. But as always, um, whether this is the first time you're listening to the show or the 171st time you're listening to the show, please rate, subscribe, review on all podcast platforms that you're listening to. Really, really helps with algorithms and stuff like that. Um, I don't usually give our social media a plug, but I'm going to do it today. So we're both, we're on Instagram and, and Twitter, which is just underscore and underscore insight. Um, again, any sharing, likes, comments and all that, it really, really does help. Um, the last couple of shows, especially on Instagram, we've it's helped us kind of build a bit more of an audience. So uh, I think we've got 420 followers blazing. So let's, let's push that up. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much it. As always, we've got a few few more show uh interviews in the can looking to sort of get a few a few more sorted before we wrap up for our end of the year lists um but yeah thank you again for stopping by the justin inside podcast and i will see you soon